Welcome to In the Know by Diane Schindler. This is Diane Schindler speaking. I'm the host of In the Know, the podcast show. I'm an author, a presenter, a solo nomad, a travel blogger, and a photographer. So this podcast show includes writing tips, travel tips, and my views of life from savvy and thoughtful to quirky and humorous. I hope you enjoy the show. Tell us about your writing group and what you did to prepare for today's episode, Showing versus Telling. Well, they always have terrific examples of how to do things and how not to do them. So I sent them a quick email and I said that I was doing the podcast and if I gave them a sentence that clearly was being done in a telling way, could they transform that for me into something that would show our listeners what a real real good um, paragraph would sound like? If it were showing rather than telling. Yes, exactly. So I sent them the email and I asked them to take the sentence and translate it into showing and therefore transform the writing. And the sentence was, Laura is afraid of the dark. And I got several answers back, but one of the best ones was from the leader of the group, Miller Johnson. And he said, in the day, the little cabin, a mile off the mountain road is a special place. Ospreys soar over a pool in the river, watching trout swimming lazily in the deep pool. The river rushing over the rapids sounds like the giggling of girls at play. But when the sun goes down on moonless cloud-covered nights, the darkness comes, suffocating the life from the canyon, oozing into all the hidden spaces. And the sound of water racing over the rapids is like the faraway screams of girls with bats tangled in their hair. Wow. Miller, Miller, I love that name, Miller, first name. Oh, it's actually Millard. Millard. Millard? Yes, we better get it right in case he's listening. Exactly. I hope Would he's you? listening. We appreciate, we appreciate his sending that to you. And you got a lot of responses, but we just don't have time. You are listening to Bonna Hayes of Bonna's Bite Size Nuggets on In the Know. Every month, the third Thursday of the month, we will have Bonna and her bite-sized nuggets. Bonna is a writer and an editor who draws on a professional career in training, marketing, and human resources to craft manuscripts for aspiring authors and help them publish their works. She has experience in communications, special events, seminars, and writing for print ads and websites. She takes the writer's art and translates it into a reader's experience, and her goal is to engage and enthuse the target market. Obana and I always have so much fun. Let's go back. So today we are going to discuss showing versus telling, and if you want to add more flavor and interest to your writing, this technique will transform your work. Right, Bonna? Yes, and we're going to help our listeners with that learning that technique on this month's show. 
and you're going to learn how to identify telling that stalls your story and the ways to paint a full color picture or show the story so that the reader is transported into the world of their imagination. Just like taking Laura was afraid of the dark and rewriting it and showing how she was afraid of the dark and allowing me to be part of that experience, just like that happened, this technique will supercharge your writing. That's right. And when I read a book, I want to be moved. I want to be taken on the emotional roller coaster. Roller coaster. I want to feel, I want to see, I want to taste, I want to hear, I want to touch. I want to have a visceral response to what I read. Not all the time, but most of the time. So, and if you don't take me, I'm going to like put your book down. And I'm going to say, this is a boring book. Showing is a technique in which story and characters are related through sensory details and actions rather than exposition. It creates that mental movie in your reader's mind. It fosters a style of writing that's more immersive for the reader and actually lets me be in the room with the characters. Instead of the writer coming to conclusions for me, I get to make those conclusions for myself based on the way it's written. That's right. And it creates images in your mind. Mm -hmm. And I want to create those images. I want to be entertained. I don't want to be told. Exactly. All right. So let's look at a few examples. You have an example that um, called from Behold the Dreamers. And I'm going to let you talk about this because I don't, know how to pronounce the person's, the author's name. Oh, okay. Well, her name is Mbolo Mbue. Mbolo Mbue. I love that name. <laughs> I do too. <laughs> but let's read just one section. She starts it off by saying, he was nervous. His throat went dry. His palms moistened. Unable to reach for his handkerchief in the packed downtown subway, he wiped both palms on his pants. Nice. So yeah. what she starts out with is a three-word sentence that's telling, he was nervous. Well, that doesn't move me. But then you're saying she goes on to explain and describe and provide details to imitate the character's experience so that we feel it, we see it, right? Yeah. Let's look at a couple more. So Michael was afraid. So how, let's change that to showing. Okay. As the footsteps tapped closer and closer, Michael felt his stomach muscles tighten. He flattened himself to the wall, the gritty bricks against his cheek. Sweat chilled his palms. Yeah. The gritty bricks. <laughs> against, and what kind of <laughs> Against his cheek. And so the gritty bricks, you can feel that. And the word gritty is, has those T's and the G's and the, so those are harsh consonants that add to the descriptor gritty. And makes him, he's uncomfortable. No kidding. It's yeah. not a soft little brick that he's lying up against. No, because, and we know we're going to form the opinion that he's, a, he's afraid. How about this yeah. one? Molly is a wonderful person, but you could also write using actions 
Molly's always there when anyone needs her. She's the first to arrive with food when someone is sick, the first to send a note of encouragement, the first to offer a hug to anyone at mm-hmm. any time. Mm-hmm. So I'm liking Molly. Right. I'm, I'm there with her. Are you? Yeah. Yes. I was really mad. So what did I do? I ran to the door. I threw it open with a loud bang, a loud bang against the wall and yelled, get in this house this instant. You're three hours late. I was married to a man that I had to (laughs) yell at like that. That's not true. Uh, But I would be scared of you. I wouldn't get in that (laughs) house with you. Anyway, so you can see she ran to the door and she threw it open. She just didn't open the door. She threw it open with with a loud bang against the wall and yelled, get, this is dialogue, get in this house this instant, exclamation point. You are three hours late, exclamation point. Yes. Now I want to read a couple more from my own writing. I don't have the telling, I only have the showing. Here's an example of, I think, of showing. This is an action scene where Kaylee, the protagonist, is, has been attacked. It's in the process of her being attacked by this man. Something jarred her concentration as she was shoved off balance and slammed into the side of a building. Shoulders pinned, her cheek burned as gritty brick particles penetrated and scraped away at her delicate skin. So I hope you were feeling that. Yeah, I was transported into the scene. And, you know, I was experiencing the story I was sharing in her struggle. And you know, that, what you just wrote there is typical of showing. Telling doesn't evoke images in my mind. It interprets the story for us, and it robs us of being drawn into the story. I'm going to want to keep turning the pages. (laughs) Right. But if you just said she was attacked in the alley, I'd be like, boring. Yeah, Yeah. so what? I have no investment in the character. No, I have no investment in the character. I have no, I mean, I don't feel it. I'm not worried. I don't have a visceral response to it. I just like, okay, and I close the book and that's it. But when a person, when the author writes and uses those words and phrases that create images, then yeah. I'm engaged. And we're going to talk to you a little bit later about how, how to do that. But right now, we're just providing you some examples. And we, we hope in those examples, you could, see the, you could see the difference. You could tell the difference between a sentence that is telling and a sentence that shows. And let's let's um, let's talk about the elements of showing. Let's, so now that we've had those sentences that we've read, and hopefully you can see, wow, it's really better writing, and it really creates a better experience for the reader if I use the technique of showing. Uh-huh. That's nice to say that's a technique. So what are the pieces of it? Now, okay, well, first thing you do is you use the five senses. What did he see, hear, taste, smell, and feel? What did he touch? So let's look at Michael was afraid. Let's look at that again. Michael was afraid. As the footsteps tapped closer and closer, 
Michael felt his stomach muscles tighten. He flattened himself to the wall, the gritty bricks against his cheek. Sweat chilled his palms. So let's, I like that. So let's kind of drill down on that. So when he says, as the footsteps tapped closer and closer, so we, that appeals to our sense of hearing. He just didn't walk up the steps. He, so it tapped and we can hear that we know what a tap sounds like. And that's a more, that's a more, um, it creates a, a better image for us. It's a more vivid image. And, and it's ominous. They're getting closer and yeah, closer. Yeah, closer and closer. Let's look at another one. So sound is very powerful. They're all powerful. All the yeah, senses but you know, are I very powerful. Go, I know. I want to go back to the stomach muscles tightened. Now, when we said that we want to look at the five senses, seeing, hearing, tasting, smelling, and feeling, I want to go to feeling for a minute and drill that down a little bit more. So we, when we think of feeling, uh, you might feel someone that brushes up against your shoulder. <clears throat> Or you might feel something with your fingers or your cheek. Mm -hmm. But in this description, it says his muscles tightened. Why? That's a visceral response. Mm -hmm. That's just one visceral response. That's an internal response that you don't feel with your fingers or, your, or the outside of your body, but you feel it on the inside. And, and so I want to make sure that when we talk about the senses that we are also talking about visceral. And as we move on, we'll have more examples of that. Like puke, yeah, just there's another like one. Sweat and vomit yeah. and sweat. <laughs> and your and your and, and I this is my favorite one is her armpits stung with perspiration. Now those of you out there, when I first told Dold Vana that, she went, what, what, what? But yeah. when, when, when I'm nervous and I start to perspire under my arms, I get a stinging sensation and sometimes an itching sensation. My sense of it is, I haven't read this anyplace, and I'm a PhD but not a physician, but my sense of it is the pores in my armpits are opening. And when they're opening, it's creating a stinging sensation. And then uh, water is excreted. There's another good verb describing water. Well, um, we're going to talk about, well, we're not going to talk about your perspiration. I'm going to tell you that. <laughs> <laughs> Why not? I think it's, it's a visceral response. It's, you don't want to talk about my perspiration because we, you have an internal visceral response to that. I think it's really important to use those. I do. And I think in your scene, when you're writing about an attack on a woman, that becomes critically important. Right. You know, when you're writing about a woman's response to a situation, that description is going to become very important. Without yeah. me having to guess what's going on, I can figure it out for myself. So we know how scared she is. Now, men have the same visceral response under their armpits, too. They just may not always... Uh, explain that in a, in, a, in, a, in, a, in a novel, but yeah, so enough of that. I beat that dead horse. Let's go on. <laughs> Let's talk about a little more about sound. Yeah. Um, we'd, and it, it actually is an illustration of using figurative language as well. Um, now, wait a minute. Let's talk about figurative language. So there's figurative language and there's literal 
language, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. So what's the difference? It is when you use a, uh, a metaphor or a simile to right. create a comparison to something else. So right. like her hair shone like burnished gold. That's it's, right. So that's certainly not literal because then her hair would be on fire. Right. But that's a, a figurative use of language. So it's a better descriptor. Yes. Okay. And Robert Frost does that in his poem, Stopping by the Woods on a Snowy Evening. It's a great way to show sound and the mm -hmm. lack of sound that sets the scene for, um, for the horse and the driver in the woods on a snowy evening. He says, he gives his harness bells a shake to ask if there is some mistake. The only other sounds, the sweep of easy wind and downy flake. When he says the sound of sweep, the, the sweep of easy wind. I mean, you can see, I mean, I, when I think of sweep, I think of sweeping the kitchen floor, but I think of that, that broom mm -hmm. and that air that moves around when you move that broom across the floor. So sweep is easy. And um, that's what comes to my mind when I- It is, I it's gentle that. and downy flakes are gentle. And yeah. they're not in the middle of a blizzard, they're in the field. Right. And it's quiet and calm and peaceful. Mm -hmm. So we've evoked a, an image of, for the setting by using sound and uh, figurative language. Mm -hmm. Now listen to this one. This is what, this one I found in a book by Nora Roberts. It's, uh, the book is Dark Witch. And it's the heroine's first look at Ireland when she moves to Ireland. And this is a completely different setting and a completely different description of the setting. The cold, carved bone deep, fueled by the lash of the wind, iced by the drowning rain. I never want to go to Ireland <laughs> yeah. because this is what I hear about Ireland, that the, it's so cold that it cuts you to the bone. It cuts you deep to the bone, the cold, carved, bone deep. This is, this is violent, mm -hmm. fueled by the lash of the wind. And when I think of lash, lashing, I think of a whip hitting somebody's back, lashing, how violent mm -hmm. and, and frightening that is. And then finally, iced by the drowning rain. It's not just raining cats and dogs. It's drowning so that, you know, don't look up because you might drown. It goes right down your nose. It's so heavy. Yeah, just one sentence. And right off the bat, we can see how she's using the senses to make her point. We could say the coast of Ireland was cold. That's right. <laughs> and we'd say, I'm not reading anymore. And you know, I like that verb fueled. So the cold carved bone deep, the cold carved bone deep. And, you know, I think about what carves is a knife. So the knife was so, the, the cold was so sharp. It was like a knife and it carved through her flesh deep to the bone. And then it was fueled. So 
It was as if that it, weren't enough. As yeah. if the bone, right? Now we're going to fuel it, but, but yeah, we're going to make it yeah. even worse. We're going to fuel yeah. it. Yeah, that's yeah. a great choice, Bana, for this for helping us understand showing. Well, you know what we can you can do too when when you want to understand how to use the senses. Let's talk about the sense of smell. Go into your favorite restaurant and experience smell and describe what being there instead of saying i walked into my favorite restaurant the hot spicy japanese foods permeated my nostrils yeah yeah um i recognized him even with my eyes closed by the scent of his cologne not i could smell him i recognized him you know mm -hmm. so they're powerful images and taste is one of the most powerful. Instead of saying, the apple tasted good. Yeah, the sweet taste of apple filled her mouth a moment before she realized it was poisoned. <gasps> filled her mouth. Yeah. So you're talking about verbs. And they're called emotion words. Mm -hmm. um, if you name the emotions, you're telling. Like... I was surprised, angry, amazed, confused. Instead, you want to use some of the actions and thoughts and those visceral reactions that we've talked about to show what your characters are feeling. And the armpits. Never mind. Stuff. And I love the, and I'm the gentle one. I'm the one who likes the downy flakes. Oh, I like that too, but hey. Um, <laughs> You know, that, <laughs> it all has a place. Oh, yes. But if you just leave, if you tell the reader, I was angry, I was surprised, I was confused, you're leaving me short. Yeah, so here's, here's an example. John was sad to see his girlfriend leave. So he was sad. But that's telling. So if we show, John wiped tears down his face and he fell. His armpits sting. No, no, no. Uh, no. This no. is why not all of us are writers. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. Sorry. Oh, I can't help but laugh. John was sad to see his girlfriend leave. Well, what the hell did he do wrong? John wiped tears down his face as he watched his girlfriend board the train. Now, we might even want to change that. Yeah word watch to something else because watch is kind of a nothing verb but um at least we know how he said because he has tears he's crying yes and you're not saying john was sad that's right okay yeah so let's talk about that those verbs that you use we we want to be using strong dynamic verbs mary was confident is a telling sentence, okay, but how much more powerful the image would be if you wrote, Mary strode into the room and everyone's head turned to look at her. So by yeah. using the verb strode, or she strutted, or trudged, or tiptoed, all depending on what is the description that you want to leave with the reader, mm -hmm. the feeling that you want to evoke instead of describing the emotion. Yeah, an example of strong verbs for walk. I mean, you're always using walk or went. 
you could say galloped, skipped, sauntered, strolled, or ambled. And each one of those, sauntered, indicates that he's just you know, walking around with no real purpose, or he strolling is just sort of maybe watching nature and even, an even gait, or amble. To amble, I think for me, it means like when you're walking down the villages and you're deciding whether or not you want an ice cream over here or you amble over there to the bookstore, you kind of blow in the wind, you're ambling. So all of those verbs are much stronger than walk. And each of them often add a different sense of purpose. Right. And you avoid the, uh, the dreaded L-Y word. We're going to talk about that and things that you don't want to do. But if, if, if we are using adverbs to describe the action, that means we're using a, a less than a, a, a weaker verb. And your writing will be stronger if you look for a strong verb. And the huge tip, what's the huge tip coming out of Diane Schindler for somebody that wants to find an additional word? Oh, a thesaurus, thesaurus. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, let's go back to adverbs. Are okay. going to talk about L-Y verbs? Well, just that if you say, he walked slowly. Yes. Can be, he ambled, he yeah, sauntered. Right, so let's talk about adverbs because we were all now in Mrs. Wilson's third grade class where we learned grammar, my favorite topic, my favorite subject. Bonnie, was grammar your favorite subject? I loved English. I, I can tell you that, right? Yeah. So in, in Mrs. Wilson's grammar class, she would say, you know, an adverb is a, is a verb, is a word that describes a verb or another adverb and usually ends in L-Y and it answers the question how. So when he walked into the room, the question is, how did he walk? And if you want to use an adverb, you can use it and then you can kill it. But you would say, he walked slowly into the room. So we want to try to avoid adverbs, avoid those L-Y verbs. Not in every single case. I mean, sometimes you might be compelled. But as Bonna says, if you're using an L-Y adverb too often, it's because your verbs are not strong enough. And as I said a moment ago, so when he walked, he didn't just walk, he galloped, he skipped, he sauntered, he strolled. So just like you're using strong dynamic verbs and you're gonna get rid of the L-Y words, the adverbs, you're also gonna use concrete nouns. So that's another way of, of reinforcing your writing and making it um, more interesting for the reader. So for example, Mary lived in a big house is telling, but we're gonna look for some big fat concrete nouns that describe Mary's house. <laughs> Mary didn't know which front door she should use as she walked into the mansion. There were so many doors, so many damn doors. Which one? Yeah. Yes. And when she walked in, her her shoes tapped the Mexican. Well, I'm making this up. You can tell as I'm stammering. She walked into the onto the Mexican tile, and the tap of her shoes echoed through exactly. the hallway. Mm -hmm. And that says she's in a big house. 
-hmm. It's big enough that when she walks across the Mexican tile floor, the sound echoes. So we talked a little bit before about using figurative language. When we talked about Robert Frost with the harness bells shaking and the, mm -hmm. the sweep of the easy wind. Um, figurative language is typically metaphors and similes. And we want to also mention, though, um, what, what a metaphor does is it compares two things directly. The company was a gold mine. And that's and, figurative because you're not talking really about the company being a gold mine. The notion is, in this metaphor, that the company was so um, well off, made lots of money. It was like gold. One, like uh, avoiding cliches. Um, I, lots of writers and myself, I include myself right up there. Um, her heart pounded. I had heart, one of the books I, I edited had hearts pounding every place, every time you could turn <laughs> around, you know. And, you know, uh, we have our favorite sayings as writers. To make a long story short. Yeah, to make know, a, I, yeah, all those, yeah. so the, the thing about figurative language, you have to worry about cliches. And also, there's metaphors, as you have just described, and a simile. Mm -hmm. Simile uses like or as. Her hair shone like burnished gold. Um, so we can use those metaphors and similes, but not often. The way you do this is you write, mm -hmm. and you write it the way you want to write it, and get yourself to that first draft. And then we're going to go back and fix it. And you can yeah. run it through, you know, one of the programs that are out there and find out how many times you used the saying, it was slick as glass. <laughs> <laughs> so if, if you used the pro writing app, P-R-O-W-R-I-T-I-N-G, you use that, I think it's $25 a year. Uh, it will tell you it's a cliche and it will tell you how many times you use look, see, was. So it's an incredible app. We'll talk about apps, by the way, on another yep. episode. We're going to talk about lots of apps on another episode. Bonnie, where you were going, since I can read your mind now, maybe. When we do, and we'll digress here a moment, when you do your first draft, we're not going to worry about showing and telling. We'll get the plot going, get the characters down, find out who's going to do what, and get just through that whole book and then you're going to go back and you're going to transform the verbs and the adjectives and the dialogue into magic. Yeah. So, and you're going to show, use your thesaurus mm -hmm. all the time and you're going to show, let's talk about dialogue for a minute. So here's an example. Mary was angry telling, 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 but if we put it into dialogue, Mary probably would say, this is the last time I'm going to say it. And notice, she's going to say it, G-O-N-N-A. So let me start again. This is the last time I'm going to say it. Don't you dare walk away from me. <laughs> now, do you have something from JJ's book? The book that you that you and JJ have worked together to write and edit. Yeah, I do actually, because she's she writes just great dialogue, 
She keeps the story moving along with it. She shows her character's feelings and the actions that are taking place through the dialogue. So, so you're pulling to... from the book Dared, Dared to Run. Yeah, this is her latest, this is the first in the series of her Kate Anderson character. Kate Anderson is a feisty young bond investigator, a parole officer, who um, is in this book is being stalked by a deputy sheriff. And hmm. he's evil and she can't escape him because like, like it is in real life so often, women can be stalked by men and there's nothing they can do about it, sadly. But that's another topic. Dared to run. So this is a scene where Kate's grandfather, an old man, is being accosted by reporters after his granddaughter has, they found out that maybe his granddaughter killed the stalker Odell. Another reporter shoves a microphone in the old man's face. Are you Mr. Anderson? Without waiting for a reply, the reporter continued, Mr. Anderson, do you think your granddaughter killed Robert Odell? Of course she killed him. I didn't raise that girl to be slapped around by a man. Enough now, let Mr. Anderson go home. I'll give you a statement, but leave him alone, he shouted to a deputy. Get some crowd control over here. Mr. Anderson, let me take you home. So it describes a volatile scene between mm -hmm. the reporters and the old man who's gonna stand up for his granddaughter. And without saying that, by saying the old man stood up for his granddaughter, it do she does it through the dialogue. Yeah, and I like slapping the slapping part. I didn't raise, what, what is that part? I didn't raise my daughter to be slapped around with a man, by a man or right. something. Right, yeah. So it, it shows what he was like, how he raised her, and what kind of a woman she is. So it reveals the characters, and it reveals his feelings for Kate. Now, the last thing we want to focus on action and reactions, the physical responses, the body language and the actions and the facial expressions. And one of my favorites is he slapped his forehead. <laughs> it can mean what an idiot. You know, the, I, you know, he thinks what an idiot. So he's when he's looking at someone. So he slapped his forehead or he's confused or he forgot something forgot his keys, so he slapped his forehead. He didn't say he lost his keys and felt bad about it. He said he lost his keys. When he realized he lost his keys, he slapped his forehead. What an idiot I am. <laughs> you That's put right. A little, yeah. yeah, put a little internal internalization or, or dialogue there. Mm -hmm. um, and the other one is like, instead of saying he was confused, you could say he furled his brow. Reader, again, interpret the action and come up with the conclusion that the character is upset. Now let's talk about one of the promises that we made is that Bana would explain how it is that you can come to the conclusion that your sentences are telling and not showing. What are some clues to yeah. read your own writing? Because I'm telling you, 
I I've done it myself where I think, oh, this is this is good, this is a good sentence, and then I take it to my writer's group and they say, Well, that's just telling, it's not showing. I think, what? How could I miss that? So I have to go back and think more and remember Bonna's, remember Bonna's clues. What are your clues to help us understand and know when we're only telling? Okay, good. That's great. Yep. Here's five clues. Number one, so you've written your piece and now you're going to go back in and rewrite it looking for areas where you've, you could spruce up your writing. Mm -hmm. One thing you're going to look for conclusions. As the writer, you do not want to draw people to your conclusion. You want them to come to their own conclusion. So instead of saying it was obvious he was picking a fight, if you see stuff like that, then you know that you're, you're drawing the conclusion for the reader. And that's telling. That's not showing. Yeah. Instead, you're going to rewrite that in some way that says, he stuck his pool cue out in front of the other man he, the, and made him trip. And then he pulled him up and smacked him in the face and said, oh, having trouble being here, funny, Sonny? <laughs> And of course, my scene takes place in a bar in a pool hall, but you know, that's a good place to have a fight. You want to give enough evidence that the reader can come to the conclusion themselves that this particular character was picking a fight. Yeah. So you're looking all through the book for places where you, the, as a writer, you've made conclusions for the reader. But I, sometimes I summarize too much to move the story forward really, really fast when I need to show. So I need to provide details. Do you have any examples of providing details to avoid summary? Summary example that would be okay would be if I had a, a minor character who was remodeling her house after her husband died. And I might write that as a, because she's a minor character and I need to move her along in the story. Mm -hmm. So let's just say uh, Jane looked at her cupboard, cupboards with pleasure after her kitchen was remodeled. Mm -hmm. But now we're going to look and say, well, yeah, but what if the story, instead of being about Jane, a minor character, was about Jane, the person who had the kitchen remodeled so she could hide a gun under the floor? Oh. Now we're going to have to approach it very differently. That's gonna, right. And my yep. armpits are stinging. <laughs> <laughs> I'm beating this dead horse. So readers are going to need specific details about what happened. Right. Not a summary. Right. And then there's backstory. People love to use backstory. Um, a good example of that is I had tested the car to see if it would start. And in that case, you're summing up what happened. You want to mm -hmm. look for places where you do that because it would be much more interesting if it were written. I turned the key in the ignition. A click, click drifted up from the engine. Damn it, I hit the steering wheel with my hand. Yeah, so. I like that. And backstories, you know, are used really. You have to use them sometime in a story. But I read, when I think of backstories, I think of the backstory that you write before you start writing. That is to say, character's backstory or the setting. If you have an interesting setting, especially, you know, my, my book, um, the setting is Kosovo and Macedonia. 
And so I have written a little bit of a backstory about the church and Pristina. And so I write that backstory before I start the novel. And then when I'm writing the novel, you know, I have that in the back of my head and I just kind of leave the breadcrumbs. But the, the problem with a backstory, if it's not brief, sometimes you do need a little history, but if it's not brief, it ends up being an information dump, info dump. And when I come across an info dump when I'm reading a novel, I flip the page. Yeah, flip the page and you're in there, or you put the book down, right? Put That's the book, it. Yeah, I yeah, scan, scan over and say, this isn't yeah. interesting to me and I skip over it. So we have to watch out for that. Yeah. And we talked about this before, adverbs. The, uh, you want to look for your L-Y words, just run a check on it. Use your spell check and find mm -hmm. all the words that end in L-Y. And they'll come up and then to recraft your work, you're just going to look for stronger verbs. In the same light as that, the fifth thing that you can do is look for linking verbs. Was, were, is, are. I was tired. I felt cold. I seemed impressed. Those are all weak words. And typically they can be replaced with a description that's much stronger and shows what the character is doing. Therefore, what the character is feeling. Mm -hmm. So looked is one. We use it all the time. It looked as if she was going to cry. And a better way of saying it would be, Tina's bottom lip started to quiver. Yeah, quiver is a good imagery. But the word that's gonna be the clue when you're, when you're recrafting your work are the weak linking verbs, appeared, seemed, looked, felt. Look for those and find another way to, to say the same, to say more effectively what you're saying. And there's uh, just one more thing too, a question is telling important, ever important in a work of fiction. It's to give details that are needed, but not essential to the heart of the story. Like the woman with the cabin, the cupboards in her kitchen. Mm -hmm. She lived happily enough in the cottage she had bought after her husband's death from cancer. We need to move the story along. We're not gonna go on and on with great details about him and his death and we're just going to say she lived in a cottage and she was moving and she was pretty happy. Yeah. And that, and the key there is it was a secondary character. Yes. I mean, if it's the protagonist, you might want to spend a little more time and not just show, it's not just tell, but show, but it's a secondary character, especially sometimes when you're trying to move the plot along the story along and telling works. And also telling sentences work to alter the pace of a story. J.K. Rowling does this really well in the Harry Potter series. She begins her chapters with a very good telling sentence. Um, Harry lived his dismal life under the stairs. And then she follows that with descriptions. She shows the different times and sequences in which he, his life was miserable, that he was fed crumbs and cakes that no one else wanted. Mm -hmm. So she starts out with telling and then she provides details that are showing. Yes. Yeah. She goes from general to specific details. I like that. 
Yeah. And it's a technique that she uses very well and she's known for it. I, I just want people to know that, that you, there are times when you can tell and it works well. But generally speaking, you want, you're writing a novel for me to read. I'm going to gobble it up if I'm immersed in the story and showing is the way to get me there. And you move me on this emotional roller coaster. I want to be moved. I want to be afraid. I want to be happy. I want to be excited. I want to feel what the protagonist is going through and I want to hate the villain. So I want you to use the right showing words and, and techniques to make me experience that because that's what we do when we read. We escape, we go to another world. Mm -hmm. That's exactly true. This is what we did, showing and telling today. We gave a definition of showing and not telling. We talked about the benefits of showing. We provided examples of telling and then alternative examples of showing. We talked about the five elements of showing and then what to avoid. I have That's some suggestions for folks too. I okay. want you to check out the blog that we suggested. Um, there's a, what do you call it at the bottom of the podcast? It's in the show notes, the show notes or the episode yeah. notes. Jerry Jenkins is one source that presents the topics uh, simply and gives examples for show and tell. And Reedsy is one of my favorites. They have great blogs on a variety of writing topics. So either one of those are a good source, so a little quick reminder, how does this work? What did they say? You'll find even yeah. more information there. Yeah, so we're going to have a couple links to articles and blogs about showing and telling that go beyond our discussion and or reinforce the discussion that we had today, this is about showing and telling, and next time it's about dialogue. We're going to be talking about dialogue next month in August, the fourth Thursday. So I hope you stay tuned for that. But I want to know about Bana's bite-sized nuggets. Do you have some? I do. I always have my little nuggets to yeah. help us eat the elephant. Exactly. Yep. Use the number one, use the five senses and remember there's a sixth sense. The visceral, visceral the sense. visceral sense. Yes. Use your thesaurus for action verbs and concrete nouns. And don't forget dialogue. Use dialogue to show your different characters and the way they interact together. It's a terrific tool. Write your first draft, just write it, and then go back and transform the verbs and the adjectives and the dialogue into that that wonderful experience that brings the reader into the story and have fun my goodness it's wonderful to create a work that you can touch and feel and read and before we leave one more thing i'm going to tell you what book oh, one of the books you. i have on my nightstand is called writing a killer thriller uh, it's by Jody Renner, R-E-N-N-E-R. It's the subtitle is an editor's guide to writing compelling fiction. It's really a good little reference book 
and I use it all the time. It's one among many of my reference books sitting on the side of my nightstand. How about you? What do you have on your nightstand? I do, and this thing is old as the hills. It looks like something that you, you know, would get at an old library, but it's terrific to have at hand. It's called The Complete Guide to Writing Fiction and Nonfiction and Getting It Published. It's by Pat Cubis and Bob Howland. And what it is, it takes you through, it's a reference manual that will take you through anything that you needed to know about writing. I just wanna thank everybody for listening because it's your support that makes these podcasts good for us, but more importantly, we hope that they're good for you and help you um, elevate your writing to a new level. So thank you for listening. Yeah, I appreciate it so much. Thanks, Bonna. See you next time. Thank you so much for listening to In The Know. If you would like to support the show, you can do so by subscribing and sharing it with your family and friends. You can like this episode, leave a comment, and even add a rating. Your support is very important to the success of In The Know. Thank you for listening and see you next time.